We are recording. Hello and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Doman. And Stephen Craig. And so this is episode 43 and it is a special Thanksgiving episode. We're actually here at the Fab, not at our usual recording studio with Josh. Yep. So the audio is definitely going to be way different because we're using different mics. We're in a warehouse um, that sounds pretty echoey. Hopefully it's not too bad. Well, it's actually the engineering department. Yes, we're in, well, it's half engineering in this room and half warehousing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it sounds pretty bad in here. <laughs> we're doing our best. Well, you know, we need to take a picture of our actual rig because we just have everything kind of on our little metro carts riding around. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it works. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so, we're, yeah, we're here in the engineering department or the start of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Steven just did a hand motion to me. I had no idea what he was was doing. No, I'm <laughs> I'm monitoring the audio as we're going along. Oh, okay, okay. So, um, and so everything's kind of basically in the disarray here. You know, just stuff everywhere uh, from the last shop, and our new cabinets are only like half full because we still just haven't had time to actually organize stuff to put in there. Um, the CNC machine doesn't work right now. <laughs> um, granted, it hasn't worked in like three years, but that's besides the point. Well, um, we actually we have some good uh, reasons to get it working coming yes, up here soon. Yes. So we, it, it, it'll have a little bit more priority. Yeah. Um, basically, the only thing that needs to be done on it, it's got a water-cooled spindle. Um, and basically, we just need to get a water-cooling system for it up and running, and it should work. Well, yeah, I, all the parts are there. We just kind of need to... And, and and actually everything's wired up. It's just not really that pretty right now. We we kind of need to redo some of the wiring on it. It's a little sketchy. Yeah, just, just a little bit. But we've never done anything sketchy in terms of wiring. Never. Shifty eyes. <laughs> um, <laughs> my facial expression would have worked if this was a video cast. <laughs> um, which we should do sometime. We should do a video cast sometime. Maybe when we get engineering actually set up. Yeah. Um, we should do a video cast. Well, uh, I hope I'm not spilling the beans here. I'm not going to go too much into it, but we do have potentially some special podcasts coming up in December. Yes. There's some really cool stuff, so maybe maybe that would be a good time. Yeah. Yeah, we'll think about it. So, yeah, it's just... I, it, I, it's pretty much the... It goes to the fact that engineering here at Macrofab is just like the catch-all department. Yeah, that's for sure. And so, basically, you know, we spent like two weeks like hardcore getting operations all you know buttery smooth and all that good stuff mm. and you know getting acquisitions up and you know all the developers they just have their desk and engineering is kind of like this hodgepodge between like we have computers for, like development but we also have machines we also have equipment and we don't really have time to set it all up so it's kind of like find what you need at the moment and then somehow store it <laughs> <laughs> well, well, and and uh, we actually had uh, during the move, it was kind of set up such that uh, if somebody didn't know what something was, they were like, "Oh, well, that goes to engineering." Engineering, yeah. So yeah. like that looks like a tool. Engineering, yeah. So we had um, stickers on everything that had a number on it, and like ninety nine percent of everything had a number four on it, and four meant engineering room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Well, f- uh, yeah, well, four meant the entire. Uh, inventory warehouse yes but somehow it all kind of migrated to the engineering side of the warehouse yep so we uh, had a lot to sift through yeah it's all it's it's actually cleaned up it just needs to be organized yeah yeah, yeah. 
Uh, so I'll take a I'll take a panorama picture and put it up on the on the podcast. Cool uh, notes. That that's an easy picture to do. So uh, <laughs> so yeah, what what's been up with you? So yeah, the the Jeep radio. Yeah. Um, hack. I actually was working on it a bit today. Um, basically, found out that my current plan of attack isn't going to work. Hmm. Um, so basically, I, I took I took it all apart and started trying to find the actual chip ICs, like the uh, actual part numbers for them, because mm-hmm. they they all have Chrysler part numbers on them. Yeah. Um, which you punch that into Google and they, and no one knows what they are. And so, but the good thing is they do have manufacturer part numbers on them. All right, not uh, part numbers, uh, manufacturer stamps. So like ST and microcontroller, I mean, uh, um, microchip, yeah. uh, Philips, they actually have their, their So you know who on made it. it, but you don't know what it is. Yeah, you don't know what it is. So what I tried to do is I basically said S, like, define the, um, the what the power amps were. Okay? Yeah. They had Philips marked on it. So I said Philips, and it's like a, it's a 13-pin, like, wide package power amp and so I basically typed in the package name and you know hit feeling lucky on Google <laughs> and bam I found the uh, the actual part yeah um, at least what matches the pinout at least that I have on my board gotcha and so there are uh, it's a uh, the, the part number that's actually stamped on it is 0423119 a which if some of our listeners are actually like you know Mopar gearheads, they're like, "Oh yeah, that sounds like a Mopar part number," because it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, it actually is a TDA eight five six three Phillips power amp. Okay, so these are just branded. Chips. Yeah, they're just branded chips. Um, it's two channel forty watt power amp. Cool. And using that, I was able to chase it, chase it, you know, all the way around the board, find where it got its you know signals from. And it goes from it uh, gets the signals from this chip that's marked four nine six two one three eight, which is an ST manufactured chip, and that actually is and to find this one was interesting because I knew it was an audio chip. Yeah, and I knew it was my SD size. So Search for ST audio dip forty two, <laughs> and just trying and to shotgun find yeah, anything. Yeah. yeah, and at the bottom of the first page on Google, yeah, was this was a it was like a uh, website to get like old obsolete parts hmm. and it matched that description and it had TDA 7429L as an alternate part number because the other part number you couldn't actually like cross reference sure for some reason but this was in its description pulled up that data sheet and bam it matches the pinout directly cool thing it's a three band equalizer audio processor pretty cool stuff so basically it takes um it has a three channel input mux for audio Mm -hmm. and so and it communicates to i square c to the uh i think it's a microchip um processor in there yeah i don't think no it's not a microchip one it's it's a pick core though Hmm. but it doesn't have a microchip brand on it Uh, that's crazy yeah let me actually i have it right here i'm gonna go pardon the noise it's kind of like underneath my mic. Yeah, so we got the we got the mics on our little carts, and Parker's got his entire it's, thing. It's a it's a Motorola branded. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So uh, interesting that it's a. I think I'm pretty sure it's a pick. I'll I'll double check it after after the podcast. But hmm. yeah, Motorola branded Mo- pick. They licensed a pick 
core? I, I don't. I, I don't guess know. you could do that. Yeah, I guess so. Um, interesting. This and this was built in the, I think, the earliest Chrysler vehicles was an '87, '88 that used this radio. Hmm. Um, my Jeep had it '99. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, it <laughs> looks. Uh, I'm looking at the board right now, and it looks like '90s construction. Yeah. Um, it's all lead construction, all that good stuff. Yeah, it was all wave soldered, one yeah. side load. Yeah, it's uh, uh, one side's all SMT parts, um, and the other side's all through hole, and they actually adhesive dotted. Right, all the S and T parts and waved it all at once. So yeah, that's so. that's the mark of '90s. Yeah, right there. Um, all all, uh, all the part sizes are 0805 or bigger. That good stuff. Yeah. Um, there was something else I want to talk about with it. Oh yeah. So when I found that three channel input, I'm like, awesome. It's got AM, FM, and tape. Three inputs. Yeah. And all I have to do is cut the lead, lift the pin. And jam my Bluetooth in there. Does not work. <laughs> and for life, I could not figure out why it wasn't working. And yeah. I'm like, I even lifted all the inputs, and I still was getting audio through the chip. So they're not using the inputs. No, they were not used. Uh, some of them are used. For I don't know what though, because okay. like if you lift it, FM, AM, and tape still work. It it goes through. Um, it has some external how how like the equalizer is done. Yeah, it's got some external stuff, and they pipe it into there. Hmm, kind of funky. So I think I'm basically gonna have to go sit down and actually pin out the the that area of the board. Yeah, like actually schematic draw it out and see what they're doing, and then it's got I score C. So I'm just gonna you know put the uh, digital logic analyzer on it and and, s- and sniff it and sniff it as I'm changing modes and volume. Just to see what it does, like <laughs> yeah. what? Because because I have the data sheet for it, so I know if I see this command, that's what it does. Um, yeah. So so it has a three band equalizer, but yes, but it's not using the inputs for the audio streams. Correct. The actual input stream is not used. Huh. So do we? Did you try adjusting the EQ when you had the pins lifted? Uh, no. No, I did not. Because maybe that maybe those input pins are just inputs to the EQ to uh, control the EQ. Yeah, that is possible. Yeah, I mean, because you get a bass, mid, treble, maybe yep. three inputs. Who knows? Maybe. Yeah, yeah, I, that that, prob- that actually probably makes more sense. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I actually ordered. I actually accidentally blew up the Bluetooth thing today. Because <laughs> um, I was I was actually reading the voltage level that was coming off like the FM transmitter. Yeah. Um, and it's. Since it's a single volt supply, right? Yep. Um, it's actually got uh, the waveform, the analog waveform is actually at like 4.5 volts DC offset. Yeah, right. Um, and what's coming out of the Bluetooth is zero volt offset alternating. You know? Which which 4.5 for an audio signals, uh, I mean, if you're running on a 9 volt, system that's that's half scale but on a 12 volt it's kind of weird and most of the time these power amps only need about one volt input for max power so 4.5 is a really odd dc yeah, offset it's pretty weird well that's the power that's going into it i never i haven't sniffed what comes out of the chip oh, okay. into the power amp because uh, okay. i'm like i don't care about that <laughs> well uh, it could it, okay so the chip could have some gain in there and it does it would, have it has a gain adjuster okay. and so when you adjust the volume it adjusts the output to the. I wonder if it's also adjusting a DC output output or offset. 
Yeah. And the and the uh, they got it at four point five because that works the best with the game. Yeah. Maybe. It, it, maybe. Um. So whatever I come up with, I'm gonna have to basically DC bias my my Bluetooth device. Sure. Yeah. Um, and and actually, so when the magic smoke came out. Your, the words you actually said to me were uh, wasn't you. You didn't smell the smoke. You didn't see the smoke. You felt the smoke. <laughs> felt the smoke. <laughs> <laughs> I was holding the Bluetooth board, and I was using a multimeter probe to actually like apply voltage to different pins. Yeah. To see, you know, what because those what, probes actually do pretty good at for for putting power in. Pa- pa- yeah. And so I'm doing that, and then someone came into the engineering room and it startled me. Like it, it was right before our big. Uh, Thanksgiving potluck here at Acrofab. Yeah. And I slipped and probably pumped 12 volts into like a 3.3 volt rail. <laughs> and it went... Because well, I, like, I was holding it and it just got really hot in like an instant. And then, yeah, felt the heat, man. <laughs> we we have all been there for sure. Yep. Uh, good thing it's only 20 bucks. Didn't blow up the radio, but... I did order another radio just in case, because <laughs> you might blow that might up. Blow too. up this one. They're they're inexpensive. Twenty. Uh, the radios are twenty dollars. So, yeah. So they probably made like ten million of these radios. Oh, are you kidding me? Yeah. Or more. Yeah, more than that. I, maybe ten million just went into Jeeps. <laughs> maybe. The uh, well, I mean, if you talk about the the lifetime of the whole thing, uh, but but yeah, if if you've been if you've been or if you even say that you've worked on electronics and you haven't let the magic smoke out, you really haven't worked on electronics. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm hoping um, next week I get some more progress. I did try to hack the tape cassette because I actually found... I can't. Oh, I wish I worked on the part number four, but there's on the tape cassette part, it's actually a separate module that's inside there. Okay. And it's Adobe Audio chip. And I was actually able to pipe... Because um, this was after I blew up the Bluetooth chip, so I basically got the function generator matched the signal, yeah, and uh, with scope, and then I basically just pumped it into, I I just pumped it into random pins on the tape deck, and I found <laughs> some pins that worked. The problem is I can't fake the fact that there's a tape in there. I had to actually put a tape in, which would be kind of annoying. So so you know you actually constitute a circuit bender now. Yeah, 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 I guess so. <laughs> I just kept poking it, and then I got the one kilohertz coming out of the speaker. <laughs> I'm like, oh, there we go. And there then, it is. And then I, I looked up the chip. I'll, I'll post that one. Um, it's an interesting Adobe audio processing chip. Um, but the, the trick is you have to fake, because it's got a microcontroller in that tape deck. Uh, so this thing, actually, this radio actually has three microcontrollers in it. Wow. <laughs> one on the baseboard, one in the faceplate, and then uh, one on the tape deck. That's that's kind of crazy because for a mass-produced thing, you wouldn't expect that. No. Uh, but it, but some engineer found out that that was the way that it was the cheapest. Cheapest way. Because I guarantee you this was built to a price point. Yes, it was. This was like the second level radio you could get. They had a radio that didn't have a tape deck. Oh, even lower. Yeah, it's probably the same board. But minus this, the but tape. this board, but this radio works without the tape deck. So I bet you everything's the same except no tape deck in the cheaper radio. Right, right. So what was special about the one above it? Uh, it has CD. Oh, okay, yep. okay. Which, all said and done, I bet you all the amps and all the preamps and all those chips yeah, are probably this, still the same. This main board is exactly the same. It's just whatever plugs into that that tape deck plug. Right. So it's not. It's not like higher audio quality it's just more 
capability of getting audio in. Yes, and we're trying to shove Bluetooth in it now. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just it's just interesting the construction of this thing, um, and just how it functions. It's really weird. Oh yeah, uh, what well, I was talking about uh, faking the tape. So it's got a switch when you plug in a uh, when you push in a tape, it hits a switch and it basically tells the microcontroller, "Hey, there's a tape coming in," and it starts moving the mix and all that stuff. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, cool, and it works. If you just press your finger on the switch, like you simulate a tape sure. with no tape in there, it actually is okay. Um, but if you actually just try to actuate just the switch with like just by bridging the wire mm-hmm. uh, on the switch, it will say, "Hey, there's a tape coming," but that switch has a lever on it that doesn't catch. Yeah, and so that the um, the tape mechanism—it's all mechanical. Um, it like. It will act like it's taking the tape in and then spit it back out hmm. if you don't actually have anything actuating that arm. Oh, gotcha. So you can't just say, you know, you can't just bridge the, the, the connector. Huh. You actually have to have something physical yeah, something, move something, yeah. that arm. Yeah, Right. There's some kind of use case that makes yeah. sense. In. Yeah. That's annoying. So I can't do that route. So I had to hack the AM FM side somehow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it reminds me of a story. Um, uh, Justin, the uh, ops director, uh, he was guest on last week. Yep. Uh, he was telling us about one of his friends who had a um, uh, a tape deck. Did he, did he talk about this? No, in the this podcast? is Gage. Was that Gage? Yeah, this is Gage. Okay, Gage. And I thought it was Justin. Whatever. Gage from our customer success or whatever they called it. Uh, <laughs> no, no. They, they, he, one of these guys had a buddy back in high school or whatever that had a tape deck that. It got stuck on max volume. Yeah, and the button broke off. Yeah, and the button broke off, so there was no way to change it. And their solution was to put in a blank tape of just white noise that was as low as possible. So it always had a tape playing, and you'd hear it flip over every once in a while. Go to this side B. <laughs> you know what would be really funny? If, if your friend did that and you pranked them, and record, like, a blurp somewhere on the tape, like oh, like a noise yeah, yeah. or like a siren or something. Oh and, yeah, yeah. And so they, they just hear it for an instant and have no idea what it was. <laughs> so oh okay, another another funny story. So I was driving home from college. Um, what? I gosh, man, that was years ago. But uh, I was I was driving home. Uh, it was late at night. I think I was I was coming home at like two in the morning or something like that. And um, I had some some CD on, and my mind wasn't at all paying attention to what the CD was playing, and the CD ended. But I didn't realize that it the CD kept going and there was one of those secret tracks at the end of it. But it was going on for like 10 minutes of complete silence. And I'm driving on, on a freeway in the middle of the dark. And then all of a sudden, at the end of this CD, there's just screaming. Like, like absolute screaming. And I nearly shit my pants. Because I'm, I'm, I'm driving. I'm the only one on the freeway. Everything's dead silent. And then there's just this blood-curdling scream in my car. Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was kind of crazy. <laughs> uh, well, I think it's uh, 20 minutes of rambling about the Jeep radio. <laughs> um, so, Steve, what have you been working on? <laughs> uh, well, shoot. Uh, so, so, this last weekend, I, uh, I brewed another batch of beer. Um, awesome. I, I brewed a 
a Bohemian Pilsner, Ooh. and I did it in my electric rig again. So this was brew number two with and, my electric rig. And you haven't died yet using it? I have not died, and I've significantly reduced my chance of dying this time because <laughs> I put all my electronics in a nice steel box. Yes, it's actually pretty nice looking. Yeah, so, so I got some new features. Uh, the first would be an on-off switch. That's, that's a good feature to have. The second one is a uh, ground. I ha- now <laughs> the, the whole system is grounded. That's good. Um, and I put, a, I put a nice, big, beefy contactor in there. So uh, the switch that um, you switch it on with, the main current that feeds everything is not flowing through the switch. The switch just activates the contactor. So. And actually, um, for our listeners, if y'all know what the difference between a contactor and a relay is, I'd yeah. like to know. Um, I think the contactor is latching, but they also make latching relays. So, uh, and it can't just be a size difference because you could just make a bigger relay and it's not make it a contactor at that point. Well, okay, so so I don't know this to be a, a fact, but I've I've heard many people and even data sheets say, do not leave power on a relay indefinitely. But I've never heard anyone say, do not leave power on a contactor indefinitely. If you look at a contactor, it's a relay. I mean, yeah. all said and done, that's they're the exact same thing. Uh, it's just maybe the coil on a contactor is more robust. Maybe. I don't know. It's designed for 100% duty cycle or something like that? Well, and, and at the same time, I've never seen a contactor do a small amount of power. <laughs> Every time I've seen a contactor, it's like 5,000 watts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I was working on a, um, I was working on a uh, oil dreg out in the coast, and uh, I was working with a, uh, a motor controller box. Oh, yeah, this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it had five, six contactors in it. It had six contactors in it, and each one controlled 600 amps. So in yeah. my mind, like, like the size that's of your a fist. contactor. <laughs> no, no, it's more like the size of your gut. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> this thing is huge. Yeah, no, they were big, and they pushed a lot of power. So, like, yeah, in my mind, that's contactor. So when I was thinking of my brewing rig, I was like, I don't want a relay in there. I want a contactor, <laughs> especially because it makes a big ka-chunk sound yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when you turn it on. It's, it's pretty cool. So... Uh, Can you, you should have on the power switch for it is contactor engage is what you should label the switch. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't turn on. It engages. Engages. Energize. Energize. <laughs> contactor energize. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, I took a I took my first gravity sample of my beer. Uh, for those who don't know, gravity sample you're actually measuring sugar sort of, content. Yeah, sugar content, but effectively the weight of the beer in relation to water. Just distilled, distilled water, water at 70 degrees Fahrenheit. Right. And or so 60, uh, I'm about 50% attenuation. Uh, so my yeast have been going nuts and they fermented about half the sugars out of it. So yay. That means healthy. So yeah. FX got, dev board. FX dev board. Um, we got the video in. Well, we got the, the first cut of yeah. the video. Audio's I, not done on it. Yeah, there's 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 a good bit of editing that needs to go around. I shot it to everyone at the uh, at the fab and and got a bunch of criticisms and, and it's pretty awesome. And it's fun. It's a it's a bunch of fun. I'm I I'm happy with how it turned out. I'm glad that my 15 seconds, if that, of fame on it too, is pretty freaking hilarious. <laughs> Parker has a cameo. Yeah, a, the, a good cameo. The, it, it pairs really nice with your very calm voice and then what I do on the screen. <laughs> Parker. Parkerizes it. Oh yeah, very well. Uh, uh, so so yeah, we um, we still got some editing to do on it. Uh, Josh has been an absolute trooper. 
uh, and he's been knocking that out of the park. So we'll, uh, as, as soon as it's available, I'm sure everyone on the podcast will know over and over and over. Yes. So we'll probably have it in the description. It'll be on Twitter. It will be everywhere. Uh, yeah, it needs to be everywhere. So then, uh, uh, last thing for me, I've uh, been talking about the my, my synthesizer that I've been designing. Have you talked about it on the podcast? Oh yeah, a couple times. Uh, in uh, but it's it's been a small little bit of parts. Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So eventually, you're gonna have to like list out like I think maybe next podcast like the entire like scope of this project. Oh geez, because yeah. it's enormous. Well, I have a uh, I actually have a dedicated notebook that I I bought a while back. Is it called the synth book? It should be. <laughs> I so this notebook is nothing but synth. I have the entire notebook like predefined what pages are what. I, I actually have pages that I know are going to be schematics for something, but I haven't written a schematic on there. So but you have table of contents is all filled out, complete? Basically. In yeah. pen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, Calligraphy. Oh. Yeah, it's like, like, like oh, like, click, like, in the old, um, like an old monk, like, holy book, where they have, like, all the figurines and stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, like, I should you, totally you, do You that. have, like, Make it like the a tome S, or the S in like synth is like super stylized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, w- one of these days we're going to have to go over all the features that this has. Um, regardless, one of the many, many modules that go inside the synth, the uh, the VCO. Um, What's the VCO? VCO stands for Voltage Controlled Oscillator. Okay. So uh, you apply 0 to 10 volts. And you get anywhere from 55 hertz all the way up to 14,080 hertz. Um, with every volt up, uh, you double your frequency. So okay. you go up an octave. Yep. Uh, in other words, it's 88, no, 8, 80-something millivolts per musical note in a okay. scale. Uh, regardless, my synth VCO is almost complete. Uh, I, too, let the magic smoke out of a chip. Uh, and finally got <laughs> finally got the chip in. It's a so I way back at the beginning of the podcast I talked about um, my 16 in 16 out breakout board, which yep. is just a board with a 16 bit DAC and a 16 bit A to D, um, and I blew my DAC on it. So <laughs> that was doing most of the magic of creating my sine wave or or my my output wave, whichever you chose. Um, so. I've got that up and going. Now I just need to slap it back on my board. In fact, I've been developing the synth on the FX Dev board because all the voltages are right there and it just it just works out. Yep. Shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm hoping that the FX Dev board does really well cuz I'd like to do a synthesizer version oh, yeah. of it. Yeah. Um there's a lot of things that could be done with that platform. Yeah, with that platform. Cuz I also want to do a digital platform of it too. That would be that would be sick. That that's something I would really like. Yeah. Um, we'll see what happens. We'll see how this goes. I think I think going the FX dev board route is a good use case for this kind of platform. Sure, or, or sure. butterboard is what we're calling it, right? Well, uh, so so the board itself is the FX dev board, but the two solderless breadboards that are on the FX dev board, those are each called the the butterboard, the butterboard. because they're easy as butter. Yeah, and that saying doesn't make any sense. <laughs> that's part of the video. <laughs> that's part of the video. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, yeah, that's that's what I've been up to. Cool. RFO? Yeah, RFO. And we only have one RFO. Um, sorry, guys. Um, it's 
Thanksgiving. We're recording this on Wednesday. Um, hopefully, this podcast comes out on Thursday. And we're in a food coma because we had an awesome lunch. Yeah, that was like I probably ate like five pounds of like mashed potatoes. <laughs> it was great. Um, that was oh man, like and someone brought um, uh, was it Chris? Chris, uh, our uh, Chris op- Colbert. Yeah, Chris Colbert, our operations manager. Uh, our floor operator. Floor, yeah. yeah. Um, he brought a barbecue pit and like cooked fajitas and stuff for. Part so of it. so yeah, we, we did we did a, a Houston Thanksgiving. So it was like fajitas with you know all the all standard the casseroles and everything that you yeah. would expect. Yeah, because I brought in a sweet potato casserole. You brought in green bean, green casserole. bean casserole. Yeah, and then we had tacos and tacos. <laughs> <laughs> Which hey, that's. And, then, and someone brought in a pumpkin roll. There yeah. was pecan pie. There was oh man, it was solid. Uh, I'll put it this way: my eyeballs hurt after eating all the food. <laughs> okay, so what's this RFO? Yeah, okay, RFO. Um, <laughs> this has actually been pretty big news this week. Um, the OpenV, which is the first open source Risk V microcontroller mm-hmm. that you can actually buy. Mm. The the researchers um, and students behind it they're at the uh, they're in a university in Columbia, and they base they have a, basically a crowd supply for this chip. You can actually buy the chip or buy a development board with it on it. Cool. Um, I haven't looked too much into the tool set, but I'm going to assume that the tool set's also open because that wouldn't make sense. Um, but it's a 32-bit microcontroller uh, based on just normal RISC. Um, you know, operating set of uh, commands. Um, I bet you it has a C compiler, most sure. likely. Yeah. Um, it's 160 megahertz. And I'm, I'm going to just read the spec sheet. 160 megahertz, SPI, I2C, SDIO, JTAG. So it probably has really good debugging, I would hope. Yeah. Um, 10-bit ADC, 12-bit DAC, which is pretty interesting. It's got a built-in DAC. Oh, that's cool. It's got 16 GPIOs, which is... A little bit on the low side, uh, but, you know, I'd like to say at least 32. <laughs> I mean, 32 makes sense because then you have one register is your output register completely. Right, right. Well, and with 16 GPIO, uh, I mean, what if you needed, what if you were putting this to um, two 8-bit eight, parallel chips? Yeah. You've killed all your GPIO. Yep. Um, the only, there's a couple downsides to this chip. Um, first of all, it needs multiple voltage sources. Okay. So you, I I can't I, I didn't see what voltage sources they were, but it's probably like you need the core, which is like 1.2 volt or eight 1.8. Yeah, something like that. And then you probably have to give it 3.3, which is the I/O. Right. Um, that's kind of normal for like FPGAs. You have to do that. Yeah. But for microcontrollers, no one has done that in like years. Um, make a chip like that. Yeah, you expect that on an FPGA. Yeah, and it requires external um, external flash. Mm. It doesn't have built-in flash. Now they have a good reasoning why, because flash memory, uh, compact, fast flash memory that's on die. Well, it's cheap, but it's actually expensive to license. Oh, it's cheap to make, but expensive to license. And since this is open source, they kind of went the other route. Basically, make off-board serial. Uh, ROM. Well, and and if they or have flash. if they have plenty of examples that's plug and play where you just drop it in, then that just who cares? You yeah. know. And then the really other downside is it's forty nine dollars. 
Ooh. Okay, yeah, that's pricey. Um, and then for 99 bucks, which isn't actually bad, you get the development board. So the development wow. board co- uh, price is actually not that bad. Yeah. The, the, the IC itself is not good. A $50 IC? Yeah. Well, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, you got to start somewhere. Um, pretty cool stuff. Um, the, uh, the dev board's got like an SD card slot and USB and all the regulators you need and blah, 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 blah. Sure. Um, but yeah, that's on Crowd Supply. Pretty cool stuff. Very cool. Um, will be interesting to see if where this goes and how the maker community either ignores it, embraces it. Um, I know there's going to be a subset of people who will totally embrace it because it's open source. It's completely open source. Yeah. yeah. Um, it would be interesting if they actually have the manufacturing masks open. You know, I can I can see people. I can see them really having anal about this. And I, like, yeah, I can see them having the like the like the cadence design files or whatever oh, yeah, they use yeah, yeah. to draw out the the actual the, um, the gate level the gate level uh, masks. But if they actually have the the mask um, files to actually make the masks for for the, the different layers and the uh, and the semiconductor uh, fab. That will be interesting if they have that. Because I kind of just want to look at that. Well, I mean, if it's open, then they should, right? Depends on your level of openness. <laughs> what, what you deem is open source. You know, I, I would love to see if on the mask they have the gear uh, on, oh. on the actual mask. That yeah. would actually be kind of cool. That'd be cool. Um, sorry about that, guys. I just bumped the cart. <laughs> Probably just vibrated up through the mic. Um, yeah, it's... Because because they have this whole new like um, you know what is open source and all that stuff um, the whole open source foundation right um, personally I, I don't I don't like using word open source for my projects anymore because then you have to go through all that uh, it almost feels like paperwork nowadays <laughs> um, do you like open hardware yeah 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 I like open hardware I I, I like to see more of well. I don't think you should be opening it up your software or software or hardware up just so people can copy it. That's just lame. <laughs> um, as an engineer would put it, that'd be a dick move <laughs> um, to just like copy the design because it's open. That's what you see with Arduino. Like people are just making straight 100% clones, yeah, and not adding anything, any value back into the community. Well, using it as inspiration is different. That is that, that, correct. That's what it should be. It's you should be learning from that open source project or hardware of how did they do that. I can go look and see how they did that, so I can figure out how to make my product work better or my project. Uh, make my project work or something like that i i like the idea of of thinking of it in terms of kind of building blocks in a way where you're like hey i know these guys have their whatever they're switching down or 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 these guys handle power really well so i'm going to look at their circuit see how they did that and then i'm going to apply it to whatever i do exactly so you're taking chunks of it and uh like you said making the entirety the whole community better by you know you're using these blocks but you're building something new yes um I'm not a big fan of, of the clone community, um, but that's what I mean. That's what when you actually read the open source mantra, I guess is that's what they enable. Um, I think. Well, sure. I think the if you have 
just the schematic open. I don't think you can say it's open hardware, but it's open enough for me, personally. Well. Um, sometimes I like to see, like, the actual, like, board layout design sometimes. Um, but... Yeah, th- there's a limit to that, you know, because if somebody was... I don't know, I'm going to go ridiculous here, but if somebody opened, like, a, a, a really, really fast oscilloscope or something like that yep. with, like, a crazy board layout, but they only gave you the schematic, you would not be able to make that into a board. Well, it's not about making it into a board. It's about learning or fixing your oscilloscope. Oh, well, okay, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's like uh, like the pin, pin hex system. Um, it's all open source. Actually, it's all open source, that board is. Like... Um, the code that we use to test it, the test jig is open. Yep. The and this is actually even manufacturing files up on GitHub, all that stuff. Um, because the reason why it's open, I I argue because um, sometimes like uh, Chuck, who's who's who runs Spooky Pinball, you know, the whole pinball community is kind of really secretive of like all the secret sauce stuff. Um, like through hole MOSFETs. Yeah, it's like through hole. Oh my God, jeez. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, they're very secretive. Of all the secret sauce that goes into the boards and all their their design elements and stuff. So sure. there's not a lot of openness. And like the fact that this system is open is like completely different in in pinball. Sure. And the the crazy thing is, um, if I ever opened up a competitor pinball machine and saw that board, I would just die laughing because I'd be like why did you do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah I can't can't blame me on that yeah hey, it's a good board <laughs> ginormous though oh, 14 by 6 inches and the test jig is is huge too it's it's uh even yeah it's it's a beast yeah it's a big jig um I gotta work on that thing actually I gotta build a nice pressure plate to clamp it down with so yeah. Right now, it's just got toggle clamps, and sometimes and not enough of them. Yeah, not enough of them, and so, sometimes the board would be, you know, a little skewed through the uh, the fact that it goes through selective solder and se- selective solder. You know, you're only heating up certain sections of the board, but so, but really hot, but really hot for the the through hole part. So sometimes you might get a little warping. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially over a board that big. Um, there's only so much of the inner inner. You know, copper planes can do to keep it straight. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah, open source. Um, I I really like this open source microcontroller. I'm probably actually gonna buy a dev board for it. Cool. Just to see how the toolkit is and how well it works. If they can get the price of the chip down to like, you know, eight bucks. That's even the, expensive, but yeah, if they can get well, it. Well, that's about the size of a, a, the price of a prop. Right. A parallax propeller prop, which is actually open source by the way too. Is it really? Yeah, you can download all the files and run it on FPGA. They have a whole very oh, but you can't thing. you can't get the masks. Well, you can turn that into a mask. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I suppose you could. Yeah, it, it might not be optimized though. Yeah, it might not. I think actually the parallax propeller at first was all designed gate level wise first. They didn't have a Verilog or or VHDL description of it. That came later. Well. Uh, isn't that normally how it's done? Not nowadays. Really? Nowadays, you do a, a VHDL or Verilog description oh, yeah, of it. You're right. That, that would make sense. And actually. then synthesize it, yeah. all that good stuff, and then then you start laying it down in, in, into the copper. 
Well, the, uh, nowadays with processors, you have so many step and repeat functions that you just let a computer chug away at the billions oh, of yeah. whatever it needs to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Gone are the days of an engineer in a room-sized piece of paper. <laughs> you ever seen those pictures? I have, and actually I heard some interesting stories that engineers work with architects, actually, because uh, uh, architects were fantastic at drafting, and the engineers would basically guide the architects to draft oh, what was going on, which, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, gone are those days. Yeah. Synthesize it, let the computer handle some of it. Actually, I was talking to Parker earlier this week about um, uh, the old film technology with making PCBs. The place I used to work at, we had some we had some products from the mid to late 80s, and we still had films of them. And they were in giant manila folders. <laughs> with, I mean, because they, they I, gosh, I can't remember the size. It was like a two foot by two foot film that we would periodically send off to our board manufacturers and they would, you know, do using lithography, they would reduce it down to the board size, which was like two inches by two inches or whatever it was. It was huh. really cool, actually, to see all that old stuff. There was some poor engineer who sat there long ago with, with scissors and tape. And, <laughs> and taped it out. He, he taped out on, on plastic. Those days are long gone. Yeah. Even this uh, Jeep radio is not... It's 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 computer done. Yeah, but it still has all the traces that are not forty fives and nineties. Oh yeah, it's got some of the old school it's, stuff. It's it's got that yeah yeah. But it's still it's definitely not been taped out. <laughs> no 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 no. It's probably an old copy of Protel or something like that. Probably. No one Chrysler. Yeah. Or whoever was contracted to design it. Right. Oh cool! I think that's gonna. Oh yeah, forty-two minutes. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess I'll be doing the this will be the episode forty-three, right? That's right. Um, so yeah, this was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We were your hosts, Parker Doman and Stephen Craig. Catch you later, guys. Take it easy. Hopefully, the audio is not too bad. <laughs>